This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey friends, today's guest is Stefan Babcock, vocalist and guitarist for the Toronto, Canada rock band, Pup. Together we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their 2022 single, Robot Writes a Love Song, taken from their brand new album, The Unraveling of Pup the Band. What a cool track. I immediately told Stefan that I marvel at bands that can write such abstract yet cool tunes. This song has so many moving parts, and it is an interesting listen from note one until the last. Stefan mentioned that the song was constructed using parts from the original demo and meshing them together with re-recorded tracks. The demo parts were slightly out of tune and time, which gives it this almost haunting feel, as well as adding to the realness factor. Stefan also credits producer Peter Cadis with making the recording sessions fun, something he stressed from the onset, and you can hear that playfulness in the track. He was also about as humble as they come, explaining to me that he felt the band peaked years ago when I told him that I feel like they continue to evolve and get better with each record. I meant that too. This is one unique and killer band. For all this and an explanation of what a Turing test is, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Stefan, how are you? Good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I guess you, it looks like you're in a cabin there. Where, where are you at? Yeah, I've got a little uh, cabin in northern Ontario, and I come here between tours in the summer and just try and like be as alone as possible. That is awesome. What kind of wildlife we got up there? Any, any bears? Any deer? What's up there? Yeah, some bears, some deer. There's like a little otter that lives like 20 feet from the cabin. It's cool. Nice. <laughs> right on. Well, I got to tell you, I, I am beyond impressed with your band. Every once in a while, I'll come across something, and, and that's been the greatest thing. And I know my listeners have heard me say this the greatest thing about doing the songwriting podcast is that. I got to reinvigorate my passion for, for songwriting and for music. And I'm coming across bands like Pup that's just, I don't know how you came up with this song. You know, today we're going we're gonna to break down Robot Writes a Love Song. And uh, this goes to show you how much appreciation that, that Chris, my producer, and I have for your band. You know, we usually like to do songs that have a lot of years behind them, a lot of memories attached to them. But uh, you guys had mentioned wanting to, to do a new song, and we listened to this one, and, and we went for it because I feel like you guys are still evolving. You have no way, shape, or form peaked as a band. I was, you know, I, I researched these episodes pretty thoroughly, and I'm going through watching live videos of this. This song's only been out now for four or five months, and just the crowd reaction, they're singing it like it's a song you've been playing for 10 years. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. That means, uh, that means so much coming from you, and... I constantly think this band has peaked. I've been thinking that for eight years, so. I don't think you have. <laughs> I, I went back to the beginning. I, I listened to, because I've heard of you guys, and I, I, I keep hearing you over and over, and it's like you're you're still, and, and you may not feel this way, but it's like you're a buzz band now after being around for 12 years. You guys formed in 2010 up in Toronto, and uh, your last record came out in 2019, Morbid Stuff, and then, yeah, your fourth album uh, called The Unraveling of Pup the Band came out in April of 2022, which, of course, features uh, Robot Writes a Love Song. So take us back. Was this a song that was written uh, for Morbid Stuff for that period or was it written specifically for the brand new album? Yeah, it was written for this album. It was one of the one of the later songs to come together. I was writing for a long time and I kind of got to this point where I felt like I was about two thirds done the writing uh, of the record. And then I kind of hit that wall that we all, I feel like most of us hit at that point, a little bit of burnout. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started writing for other people. I just couldn't, something about writing for Pup was just uh, not working in my, in my mind at that moment. So I started writing for other people and uh, I had bits and pieces of the song. And then one day I, uh, I just bought a, a Fender Rhodes 
and I sat down on it and I don't know how to play piano. I really suck at piano. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I started uh, playing these, these chords. It, w- it was the second song I ever wrote on piano. The first song I wrote was called Four Chords and it's four chords and they're all white keys. And this one, yeah, this one I leveled up because it's in the key of G. So that means there's one black key in it, F sharp, maybe. Wow, you're, you're expanding your horizons here. I like that. Going to the black keys was just a mind fuck, you know? <laughs> it is a little intimidating, especially, you know, because the black keys sound a little weird, you know? It's, you get those minors and they're like, whoa, what is this? How, how do I integrate this with the white keys? Totally, totally. It's been fun. It's been fun to write on, on an instrument that I don't know how to play, you know? Like, not that I'm great at guitar, but... I'm sure you've heard a lot of songwriters say this. I'm sure you felt like this too. Like when you write on one instrument, your hands tend to go to the same places all the time. And then sure. put a keyboard in front of me and I'm just putting fingers down, hoping for the best, you know? And I, I love that example because for me, when I when I write on a keyboard, it's primitive of how I was first writing songs on guitar. And so many of our fans love the first stuff that I wrote because it was just so throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You didn't really know what you were doing. And as you progress as a musician, what you said, you know, you, you know what you're going to go for the bridge for the song. Your, your hand just going to go there. It's, a, it's the go-to thing. And when you're on a different instrument, it kind of takes that away. And you answered my question. I was going to ask you how you wrote this track because I'm trying to think like was this written on guitar because there's so much keyboard in it so that that makes sense it was it was written on the keys yeah it's it definitely started started that way and then i recorded a demo which was like me playing the roads and singing it and then i recorded a demo of me playing it on guitar and i i tried to bash them together except i realized like i recorded the whole guitar thing half step down which is how we record and i was like there's no way that i can play this on the piano in G flat or whatever. There's just no way. So I had to like pitch shift down the first demo. Uh, Yeah, pitch shift down like the piano demo by half step and then bash them together and then send it to my bandmates and kind of like be like, oh, (laughs) you got, can you guys help me? (laughs) If you wouldn't mind, could, could you share that demo with us? We'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. come first or did you have lyrics uh, laying around for this and and when did the lyric hit you for it this song is a bit of an anomaly because i would say in 90 percent of our songs the chords and melody come first and they come together and then i like agonize over lyrics until the last possible second when we we go into the studio and i have to record i'm just like not the most confident lyric writer in the world i get really in my head about it i just feel like i'm much better at writing melodies but with this one, the melodies and the lyrics kind of like came at the same time. It's very, it's very odd. Like I sat down to write this song and I wrote it in 15 minutes. It was like one of those really weird, weird ones where sometimes, you know, we have another song on the, on the record, Matilda, and the band and I were working on that song for over a year. And this one was like a 15 minute just kind of showed up. There were pieces of the song that that I had been like kind of messing with for other things and they just weren't quite working out. And then it was just one of those moments where when I sat down at the piano, 
a lot of things clicked and the lyrics just kind of came out with the with the music all at the same time isn't that weird how that happens and i can't tell you how many times on this show some of the biggest songs you've had on here were written in five minutes it wasn't much thought behind it and the ones they labored over and you thought this is going to be the one the audience is going to love the listeners and just kind of falls flat you play it live it doesn't get the reaction you want but the song you wrote in in 15 minutes uh, has this huge appeal it's, it's crazy yeah i mean i think so much of those like those 15 minute songs, which to be honest, I've written less than a handful of in my life. <laughs> um, I, I think those ones, it's like, they seem like they come out of nowhere and it's just, they, sh they arrive fully formed in a few minutes. But I think the reality is like, that only happens when you've been stewing on other stuff for a long time. For me anyways, like, it's like, I had to be stewing on all these other different songs that weren't working and trying so many things for so for so long. And then, I mean, all the kind of ideas and parts are there and it just only kind of clicks that they can work together. You know, right. it, it takes one minute and then, and then you're like, oh, all of these things that I've been messing around with for four months, they can come together and, and, and make something special. Sure, what did the band think of it initially when you sent them the demo? Um, they liked it, I mean, I think. And have you ever sent the band something they didn't like? Oh yeah. Oh, all all, <laughs> all the time. We have a very um, we have a, a very interesting band dynamic where everyone in the band is really hard to please and impress. Sounds like my band. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes with time, right? You like spend time with these people, and after a while, they're like, "Whatever, you, whatever, you don't impress me anymore." You know. You know what else I found out that I, you know, if, if I have a really good demo cooking, I have to wait. Like maybe I had an argument with our bass player the day before. I got to give it a few days before I send it to him. Because if I send it to him now, he's no matter what, I, I could send him the greatest song in the world. He's, he's going to hate it. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's a hundred percent it. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's it's funny to think about that stuff, but it is you know there's so much uh, personality that goes into making song choices. I think with almost every band, like unless you're in a a band that's a dictatorship, which Pup is definitely not. Yeah, you know you have to think about the headspace that your your bandmates are in, and and you know sure. I often think sometimes I write songs that I I I like, and I know that one or two or all three of the members won't like. And it trips me out and I have to go back and kind of like try to massage it into a place that they'll feel better about before I send it. So the album was produced by Peter Cadis, uh, who's a Grammy award winning producer, engineer, mixer. He's worked with Death Cab for Cutie, the National Gang of Youths, Kurt Vile uh, and a bunch of others. How did he come into play? Uh, we were kind of shopping around for producers. Um, we had made our last three records with, uh, the same guy. His name is Dave Schiffman. He's a wonderful, like such a wonderful dude and a wonderful producer and a uh, really close friend of ours. And we made three records and we kind of feel like we, we had reached the end of that era of Pup. And so we didn't really know where to go. And Peter was one name that was suggested to us. And, and we talked to him and like the vibes were immaculate, you know? having one conversation with him, it was just like, this is the guy, you know, our band, we all love each other so much, but we fight a lot. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of arguments in this band. And there's a lot of like, despite the fact that we love each other so much in high pressure situations, like making a record, it can be a pretty miserable experience for us at times. You need that neutral voice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Peter was the guy that was just like, I think one of the first things he said to us was like, you know, most bands don't have fun making records. And I think that's almost the most important thing about, about making a record. So I'm going to try and make you guys enjoy it as much as possible. And that just really clicked with all of us. We really just wanted to have this new experience where, where, where we just like felt good about doing the work and didn't really care about the, the final product, you know? That's great. Well, I couldn't agree more. And before we jump into the track here and start breaking it down, did the demo change uh, when you sent it to to Peter and the band? Uh, how, how much evolution uh, changed from the initial demo? The structure and all of the words, except for two of them, stayed the same. What changed going from the first demo I sent to the final version is that my bandmates started piling on all these like crazy layers that just kind of, it took it to the next level. Like I can't, I can't uh, overstate, you know, how important everybody in this band is to to every single song. You know, mm -hmm. I'm such a basic musician. Like I know chords and melodies, and that's kind of what I can offer. And uh, the three other guys all are 
great at music and they bring this spark to all of these songs that just would not exist. That is so humbling and cool to hear you say. You know, you, you bring in the, the initial ideas because those layers you're talking about, trying to discern some of this. I've been sitting in headphones for two days going, what is going on here? And I have so many questions. I usually don't have this many questions. You're going to have to bear with me. want to jump into the track now. It's three minutes and 36 seconds. It starts out with a one, two, one, two, three, four... Almost like a metronome. It sounds like maybe a light thumping on the body of an acoustic guitar. What is that at the top? That's a sample that uh, Zach, the, the drummer and pup, was. He was playing it on a sampler pad. It was like a... I don't want to get this wrong. It was a, it was a Radiohead reference. Uh, I think... Okay. I think it happens at the beginning of Paranoid Android, if I'm not mistaken. Zach, who plays drums in Pup, has a very unique sense of humor. He's a really funny guy. And because he's not writing the lyrics, he tries to make a lot of musical jokes in the songs. So him doing that just cracked him up. And then... <laughs> no, it's great. It's got like this robot, like synthetic feel to it. And then the track starts. So I, I totally dig it. I get it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, it's cool. And... Um... Man, there's a lot going on here at the top. It sounds like there's stereo guitars to me. We got some bass, drums. Uh, was there an acoustic guitar here at the top? Yeah, so... Okay, I'm hearing acoustics. Yeah, I forget. I think I played an electric and an acoustic on this. The lead part that Steve's playing, which is like, da, 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 da. yeah, I call that the uh, guitar noodling around part, yeah, you know, which is awesome. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I love it. Like I, I did not write that melody. I think probably Nestor and Steve wrote that one together, and Steve played it on an electric guitar, and it sounded cool, but it sounded a little too. I don't know. It didn't didn't sound janky enough. You know, it didn't sound goofy enough. Um, yeah. So Nestor just put an acoustic guitar in his hand and said, play it on this now. And, and we layered it and it just it kind of makes it sound like way less serious, I think, which is what we were yeah. what we were going for. Way more playful, I should say. And then it sounds like the joystick of a synthesizer where you can mess with the pitch is being messed with there. A very video game sounding for uh, like the keyboard part there. Is, is, is some of that going on? It almost sounds like it's getting out of like slightly out of tune, but it adds this crazy feeling to it. I don't think we did that i think uh there might have been like a little bit of vibrato on the on, okay on the keys and then that's some, what i'm hearing some of the guitars are also like i i should say this early on in, in this interview a lot of i think the charm of the song is that we mixed tracks that we had in the original demo version with tracks that we recorded in the studio so uh -huh. There are mo there like and the demo version super messy out of tune. We just didn't care. Like we were just trying to get it down. And yeah. when the two come together, you get this like kind of like really in tune, clean sounding thing that we recorded in the studio layered with this not clean attitude demo version. And it kind of like that. I think that's what creates this kind of like warble and this like, you know, weird rub. I am smiling ear to ear. I'm so glad you said that because I was trying to figure out how I was going to word that. It, this thing doesn't line up perfect. There is some stuff that's tuny. I know you can sing, but there's some vocals that were left there. You know, wasn't perfect pitch. It was maybe a little out of time. It adds to that character that, you know, we as musicians like to fix these days in, in Pro Tools and everything else. But I, I love that you left that stuff there. It just, it, it's so awesome. Another thing I put for this intro, uh, I said it sounds like, I was trying to describe it in my head and i just wrote this down uh it, it sounds like ween if they were trying to write a weezer song if that makes any sense to you 
<laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I think it. I think that's a compliment. My my. It, it is, no. It is, it is. This this intro is very trippy. Well, thank you. My my. Uh, I have limited experience with Ween. One of my few memories of Ween was uh, one of the first times I I hung out with Zach's partner Julia ten years ago. We were stuck in a house during a, a snowstorm in in uh, Montreal, and she was obsessed with Ween and just put one Ween song on loop and left her laptop running. And it was like six hours of Ween before we could get out of the house. <laughs> so I've like, since yeah. that day, I'm like, no Ween in my life. I'm over it. I'm over it. Gotcha. Yeah. Ba basically, Wees are on a lot of psychedelic drugs. That's, yeah. that's, what, I, that, that's what I was getting there. This intro, yeah, it, it, it's great. Uh, getting into verse one, and, and here's where everything goes off the rails for me. I rarely have a hard time figuring out the construct of a song where the verse is the pre-chorus. This one is so all over the place, and I mean that in a great way. I want to figure out what you think the verses and everything are. So I'm going to call this verse one. You were dead. Saw your corpse rolling out the door. I backed up your memory before. They came for you. The monitor was blue, but your dad is all stored. When they come back with your new body I'll load you into the new machine again Bring you back to me And when your motor died So did I It was a slow decline You were dead. I saw your corpse rolling out the door, but I backed up your memory before. They came for you. Monitor was blue, but your data's all stored. And when they came back with your new body, I'll load you into the new machine again and bring you back to me. And when your motor died, so did I. It was a slow decline. First off, is that all verse one? Yeah, I, I would say... Uh, when you get to it and when your motor died, I, I mm -hmm. call that part the pre-chorus, I guess. Okay. Uh, but we could okay. all, we could call it all verse one. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I could see pre-chorus and I had that here in my note too, but we'll call it a verse for right now because the next part will, <laughs> it gets even crazier with me trying to figure this out. But uh, what are you saying here with the lyrics? As I said before, I was kind of like writing songs for a bunch of other people at the time that this song came about. And I was writing for some pop people who are writing like just straight up love songs. And I was really enjoying that process. And I had never written a love song with Pup. The closest thing is a song called Kids from the last record, which is like a nihilist love anthem. So it's not quite uh, touchy feely. Uh, but I thought like maybe I could maybe I could do this with Pup. Maybe I could write a love song. And I and I started trying and it was just terrible. It was like the worst pup thing that, <laughs> that I could imagine. And then something hit me where if I just kind of like hide a little bit behind humor, which is like a tendency that I have to do, it's a big crutch. But if I like turn this into a, a robot love story instead of a human love story, I think it might just be goofier and less cheesy. And yeah, so that's that's where my brain was at writing this uh, writing this first verse. Um, it's kind of like originally looking back from a dying relationship and and trying to figure out what went wrong. And then you bring that into the computer world and you just, uh, you know, you Google technology words <laughs> and you have a list in front of you and you try and or I try to take that that love 
song verse that I'd written and just kind of pepper in some some goofy robot slang. Like the the term Turing test, which I had to look up. And we'll get to that later when we get to that lyric. And I'll give I'll give the listeners a brief definition of that. I think that's awesome. You you interjected that in the lyrics. I had, I had never heard that. But I want to talk a little bit about what's going on musically here in verse one. Uh, the Up to the first four lines uh, where it says, uh, up to the point your data's all stored. Uh, it's acoustic guitar and and just an organ sounding synth for that part. At that synth sound is crazy it's again kind of warbly it sounds warm but it, it's a sound i've never heard it's it's really cool that's the roads the fender roads i'm sure peter put a lot of crazy things on it but i'm not sure exactly what he did to it but it started off as the roads and then some effects were added for sure Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Stefan Babcock from Pup after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits, to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. The new punchline single, I Don't Want to Leave Yet, is streaming everywhere now. like what you hear, you can check out Punchline I Don't Want to Leave Yet wherever you stream music. And now, back to the show. And then the, the next line, and when they come back with your body, uh, the drum loop comes in there, and there's tambourine uh, panned off left, and then the line, and bring you back to me. Right there, I could see why you'd say that's the verse, because we get this killer arpeggiated guitar panned off right, and an awesome thick bass groove comes in. There's some shakers and an 80s-sounding slap sound on, on the one where the, where the snare would be. Tambourine is here, too. That goes for like two bars and then we're into the next part. And when your motor died, so did I. It was a slow decline. There's some really cool, quick feedback on that last line that takes us into the next part. So I could see why this you would think maybe this is a pre-chorus uh, because the next part I wrote verse two or pre-chorus one or chorus one. Oh, 
you could say, well, how could this be a chorus? Because the next time this part comes in later in the song, the lyrics are completely different. Usually choruses have the same theme or some of the same lyrics. But what would this next part be to you? Uh, yeah, I would call that definitely the chorus. Okay, I got one right. Okay, it is the chorus. So let's go for that. This is chorus one. And, and I'm going to call the part after that when we get to the Now My Wires part. That to me is a post-chorus. Even though that happens twice, you would think, oh, it's the same lyric. It happens twice. That would be the, that would signify the chorus. But uh, I'm going to read these lyrics here of, of, of what we're both agreeing on as chorus one and, and have you set <laughs> these ones up. All the way through this, we get harmonies. It almost sounds like your your vocals are, are double-tracked here as well on this part. Yeah, um, the vocals in this part are pr pretty interesting. Do you want me to go into it a bit? Absolutely, yeah, please do, yeah. My, my vocal is doubled on the whole song, and on most pup songs they are. This one, like we were talking before about the, the demo being incorporated with the final version, the double is actually the lead from the demo. Oh, cool. And there were a couple words that changed that we kind of had to figure out and massage. But uh, for the most part, they're they're very similar. So the lead vocal is was tracked in the studio. The double is the lead vocal from the demo. And then this part also has pretty huge harmonies. And usually the harmonies in Pup, I'll like, I record them myself on the demos and we don't think about them till we get in the studio. Then one of the other guys, the guys just split up the, the harmonies and, and sing them. And, and it sounds very like pup. Uh, and this one was the first time where we just left all the harmonies as my vocal. And they're actually the harmonies that I recorded on the demo. So there's something that we couldn't, I just couldn't recreate it in the studio. Not that I couldn't sing the part, it just didn't have the same magic. They're all kind of attuned, but attuned together. And that just does something special to it. Exactly. And man, you can't, I, I know that feeling. I've had to do that with demos too, where you, you fly something in, you just can't recreate what you did. You weren't thinking about it initially. And I now, now you're thinking about it. Now you're in your head and you're trying all these things that the part becomes stiff and you, you just can't, you can't get it. And that's, that's really cool that you did that. And the harmonies here are great, by the way. Thank you. I recorded them in the in the backseat of my car on a SM58 <laughs> plugged straight into like the most basic interface into my laptop. So <laughs> we're over two years of doing this podcast. No one's ever told me they 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 took a 58 in their back seat and did backing vocals. This is a first. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, uh, in this part, we're calling the chorus. The guitars are strumming away, and is that a staccato piano notes off to the right? I'm hearing. I think it's the piano. I, it's hard for me to remember because live, that staccato part, Steve plays. Uh, Steve is a lead guitarist in pop. He mm -hmm. plays it with like a weird organ-y pedal. I think probably on the recording, it was it was a piano, yeah. It's great. And then there's this odd feedback or high-pitch keyboard sound that seems present here as well. The feedback, I do a feedback track for almost all all the recordings. Like I, I stand in the room and just kind of put my my fingers where the chords are and I don't strum and I just have it all, all my things cranked to 10 and it just kind of feeds back in the somewhat right key. And you'll layer that in the mix. Yeah, it just adds like this weird element of chaos. It's eerie. Yeah, it's on almost every pup recording, something like that. And then the other thing you might be hearing was uh, Nestor, who plays bass in Pup, is also an incredible recording engineer. He's got a he's got a weird brain for that stuff. He's really great at it. He decided to play acoustic guitar throughout the chorus, and then he reversed it. And I, I don't know what the plugin is called, but essentially the sample starts off too slow and speeds up as it goes. So it's just like. Okay. Um, so that's that's layered in there, which you wouldn't hear it off the top, but it you take it away and it feels way less chaotic. Yeah, so he, he's the mad scientist in the yeah. band. I love I love that. Well, the back half uh, of this is great. There's these great big sounding rock drums that come in, these huge toms. Uh, the bass and, and uh, other guitars come in here, as well as that synth. That synth sound is back, and, and the bass sound here is monstrous. But I want to go now and read these lyrics and, and have you set these up for us. Oh, the first time I saw you, I confess. You nearly put me into cardiac arrest. It was way too much data to process. And oh, I'm wearing cargo shorts down in Florida. 
please tell me, is there any room in your aorta for a beta test? That killed me the first time I heard that. <laughs> my band's from Florida. I never, ever in my life heard anybody rhyme Florida with the aorta. That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. What is going on here? What are you saying? Yeah, yeah, sure. So wh- when I was trying to write this as a as a regular love song, I was taking cues from all of these uh, pop songs I'd been writing with other people. And in that world, you kind of just like, don't worry about the cheese. You just say what you got to say. So like the first time I saw you, my heart melted. That's the cheesiest thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'd write. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you, I don't think you would. I think you would play it and sing it and be like, no, nah, that sucks. You know, like. It's... <laughs> no, my band would tell me it sucks. And then I have to change it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird thing where it's like, depending on the genre, the way you say certain things could sound either amazing or incredibly icky, you know? Yeah. For me, singing it for Pup, it sounds icky, like real bad. But when you when you change, like, you made my heart melt to, you, you put me into cardiac arrest, it's just stupid and funny, but I feel like you get the message. And this the same thing is true for, like, is there any room for me in your heart? Awful. Like, that makes me want to vomit <laughs> thinking about that. But, like... You just say, is there any room in your aorta? In your aorta, yeah. And suddenly it's funny and goofy. You get what it means. And I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a bit cutesy, but but I kind of like it. Yeah, and of course you're wearing cargo shorts in Florida because it's hot as hell down there. If you're in long pants, you know, you, you, there'd be something wrong with you. But <laughs> yeah, I love everything you're saying here. The next part, you know, again, when I research these songs, first thing I do... I'll pick up a guitar, try to figure out where the artist's head is at, go through it. And then I like to look online at guitar tabs and see what other people think. And everywhere I saw online says this next part is the chorus, but I, I'm going to argue it's the post-chorus. Now my wires have all been exposed and my system's menu won't even load. And there's an, another odd synth sound that uh, comes in right after this itself for two bars that's awesome, that sets up the next part, which I'm calling an instrumental bridge. But these lyrics, now my wires have all been exposed and my system's menu won't even load. What are you saying there? Yeah, I mean, my wires have all been exposed. It's like, you've seen the real me. I just told you that I love you and now you can see through you know you know now you know what i'm thinking and that's a scary thought you're saying like your your nerves are shot but you're saying you're using it in, in the context of uh, a, a computer system wires I, I i love that yeah exactly and then the system menu won't even load it's like my brain is malfunctioning right now which happens to me <laughs> a lot when i feel any intense emotion which could be love or anger or anxiety or whatever like my brain just kind of shuts down. So that was kind of kind of where, where I was going with that. Well, and I, I love this part too, because from where it comes from, what we're calling the chorus before it, now it almost sounds, and I hate using this term, like, it just sounds kind of like this like garage rock part comes in with that. It's just like, what is this now? You know, and it just, this song just keeps building and evolving. And then we get into what I'm calling, and would you agree with this? I'm calling this an instrumental bridge. I call it the reintro because it's the same as the intro. Okay, we'll go with reintro. I, I think that I think that's better. And it, it, this is a sixteen-bar musical reintro here with a synth-dominated uh, solo part. I'm calling it. The synth is doing like a solo there. And again, talking about the demo, was this part exactly the same as it was structure-wise? Yeah, yeah. So the structure from day one was kind of like in my brain, it's like. Uh, I guess four parts and they just repeat. There's no bridge. It's like a mm-hmm. an intro, a verse, a chorus, and a post-chorus or a hook, whatever you want to call it. And then that just happens again. 
Yeah, and it's funny, you know, this this is the same musically as the top, but it doesn't sound like the top to me. It sounds fresh where it comes in here, if that makes sense. And that's why I, I refer to it as a bridge. Nice. Okay. I think uh, the drums are different, and I think probably we played the same melodies, but on different instruments. Yeah, it's it's, it's de- definitely something different going on there. And after the 16-bar reintro, we get into what uh, I'm, I'm going to call verse 2. I'm going to read all the way through uh, what is the second pre-chorus as well. Black Hole Sun on 102.1 FM. I think I'm going to self-destruct if I ever hear that song again. My system's crashing now. My drive is shutting down. They gave me the touring test. So I guess it's best to end it now. And before we go any further, for the listeners, the Turing test, and I never knew this, um, did you have to research this? Did you did you know what it was off the top of your head? I knew what it was, but I had to fact check for sure. I was like, I think this is what it is. I better make sure before I put it in a song. I never heard of this. Uh, it, a Turing test is a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. See, I'm still learning stuff every day on my own show. This is awesome. <laughs> What, what's going on with these lyrics? I'm assuming Black Hole Sun's referring to the Soundgarden track. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that that lyric was uh, weird and kind of contentious, I think. That was a lyric that, like, I had the day before I wrote this, uh, I was listening to 102.1 FM in Toronto, which is The Edge. Yes. And they're playing Black Hole Sun uh, as they do pretty much once an hour every hour. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for the last 25 years yeah exactly <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out how to say this without throwing too much shade but i just love radio stations who are like today's current rock hits and then they and then immediately go into playing black hole sun or the chili peppers or nirvana or pearl jam yeah exactly etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so i i think when i was in the i was in the car i heard that song come on and i just like thought it was a, f- a snotty funny lyric to be like I'm going to have a meltdown if they play this fucking song again. <laughs> I punched it into my note, my notes app. And then when, uh, when I was writing this song the next day, I hit the second verse and I just like remembered I had had that note app and I, I just looked at it. It was at the top of my notes and I was just like, this doesn't really fit in, but I'm just going to throw it in now. I'll, I'll think about it later. So I threw it into the song and then as the days and weeks went by and, and we properly demoed it and recorded it, I was just like, got so attached to that line. And uh, it's great, man. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I kind of figured out how to justify it in my brain to make sense. Like, you know, you hear a love song on the radio and you're in heartbreak mode and it and it can really like kill you. I mean, I think maybe that's what a lot of people get from that lyric. It wasn't my initial intention but i'm i'm cool to go with it i'm glad you're embracing it because it almost sounded like you were going to backpedal from it for a second but i think the lyrics i think it's funny and i think it's i think it's great i love halfway through here before we get to the the what we're calling the pre-chorus uh right after the line ever hear that song again there's a four bar instrumental part with a great ascending bass guitar run into four more bars of just the band before the second half of well, what I had here was verse two, but it's but it's the pre-chorus. Uh, and there's a cool new synth run here that's panned off to the right. I love that part. Never hear that song again. That was from the original demo. I'm not sure if we recorded it, but the, the arrangement was from the original demo. And it was originally also in the first pre-chorus, but then pulling it out of the first pre-chorus didn't really hurt the part, I don't think. And then it just made the 
second pre-chorus that much more special i think well that's what i was going to say you know we're on we're getting near the end of the song here and it's still ramping up it's still building you're still hearing new textures come in and and i love that this was this was a tough one to comb through there was just so much new stuff hitting you you know it wasn't cookie cutter at all i i love that you pointed out the ascending bass thing oh that part's great i i love it so much it was not it was not in it was certainly not in the first demo that i sent it may have been in the one that we recorded as a band. I can't remember, but I just remember Nestor just playing, just going up note by note. It's so stupid, and I love it so much. It's just like, that's such a <laughs> Nestor thing to do, to be like, yeah, I'm just, instead of playing the the turnaround that sounds good and is the hook kind of thing, I'm just going to like play one note at a time going higher up the fretboard and it's going to sound awesome. So I, that's one of my favorite parts of the song. Oh yeah. My, mine too. And I, it, it's, it's got this tension. It's going, it's going. And then it goes into, uh, you know, uh, four more bars of this instrumental part before you get to the, uh, to the second pre-chorus. It, it's great. What that little turnaround does there. And then we get into uh, the second chorus here. Uh, the tempo goes to halftime for the first time. And, uh, the three lines here, the guitar gets loud and big. It gets super heavy. And I just love what's going on here. The whole feel changes, but but yet it still retains the same feeling, albeit the lyric is completely different, retains the same feeling as, as chorus one. I'm holding on to your wreckage, but I think that I'm losing the connection. It's too late to save us now. And oh, as we hit the rumble strips and the crusher, it starts closing in. Why is love this dangerous? It's so dangerous. And again, those killer harmonies are on every line here. It's awesome. What are you, what are you saying here? Yeah, when I was writing the original uh, love song, I was kind of in the dying stages of a relationship. And just kind of trying to hold on to it and, and trying, you know, trying to make it work, even though it wasn't working at all. And, you know, still feeling a lot of tenderness for the person and, and stuff like that. Um, so that lyric, uh, without the robot analogy, is really just about, like, watching this beautiful thing that you had kind of fade away and doing your best to hold on to it, but knowing that it was kind of doomed. That's one thing I noticed here. I'm glad you said there's not much robot. I mean, you talk about losing the connection, but but it kind of brings it back to the human aspect in this lyric. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I was definitely, I definitely felt like that part is more emotional and less goofy than the rest of the song, and I didn't want to kind of lose that. Like, but not cheesy though. Yeah. Well, get, it, it verges on it, but I, I. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like that you said that, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, because we had talked. You talked about that before, where you you didn't want this to be literal, like you know, I I love you, baby, I miss you. What you know, the, yeah. the typical love song stuff. You wanted to be a, a little more visceral with it, and uh, I think it's great. And then we get into uh, the second post chorus. <laughs> same lyric now my wires have all been exposed and my systems menu won't even load i love the end here because now you get a really loud staccato piano panned off to the right the song is still we're near the end but it's still lifting here uh, and it's awesome how much that lifts this part uh, this part is bigger sounding than the first time it happens there's more instrumentation uh, after the last lyric load that synth break that we hear right before the reintro in the middle of the song that comes back in straight into a super present rack dom a drum doom and you hear that drum and the next thing you hear is the sound of amplifier static for like two seconds, and then it just shuts off. 
that's a great way to end this song with everything that, that's going on from a technological robot uh, stance. It, it's really cool. Yeah, thank you. I think I think that was Nestor again. Maybe it was Zach. I'm not I'm not sure, but I think Nestor just like when we were recording the demo, he just hit that last boom and then unplugged his bass right away. And just like the uh, cable hit the ground and just went, and he's just like, eh, gonna leave it. And then, uh, yeah, we definitely got got pretty attached to to that. So that that's straight, that's a straight rip from the demo into the final final product. It's great. The whole the whole system uh, blew up there at the end. It's really really cool. I gotta ask you before we break. What's it like? Again, you say you feel like your band's peaked, and I, and I think it's good you feel that way. I, I in, in a sense that you, you want to keep pushing. You know that gives you reason to like. I if you feel like you peaked, it's like I got something to prove in a sense. What's it like? Because I told you at the top, I watched a bunch of live videos of this. This is a new song. Like my band goes out and plays a new song, and you know you got the diehard. We call them the super fans. They got their fists in the air. They're singing, but it takes a couple years to resonate. And here you are. I'm watching a show from Columbus, Ohio. You guys did back in April, and when that chorus comes, every fist is. You can hear the audience singing over the band. What's that like? It's uh, it's been so amazing. I mean, um, I, I should say like the whole band peaking thing is just um, me projecting maybe i i think it's been it's been really great it's been a slow and slow and steady rise for this band it's very like kind of a grassroots following and i i think it's still growing in the same way but i i think what i meant by that was just like every time we do something i feel like this is as good as it's gonna get it's a great feeling because I'm never disappointed, you know, <laughs> it, yeah. uh, even if the, even if the growth is small, it's just such a, such a wonderful feeling. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. We like, you know, we just came back from the UK a couple days ago and we got to hear thousands of people sing that song back to us. And it's just it, awesome. It, it blows my mind. It's like, uh, I think a lot of bands, probably you had the same thing early on. It's like the band was never supposed to do anything we never expected <laughs> sure. it to do anything it was going to be a thing that we would play in our like play some songs in our friend's basement to a few of our friends and it was going to be fun and we were going to drink beers and that was going to kind of be it and i'm able to reflect every single show and just be like this is crazy that this is working <laughs> in my humble opinion man i i think way bigger things are ahead for this band you just keep evolving and it's really refreshing to see and you you got such a great great attitude about it it's it, it's awesome uh before we break what would you like to leave listeners with anything what's what's uh coming up for pup tour dates uh, what, what do you got going on yeah we've uh, been on tour since the record came out um april we're uh, we're heading to australia in a couple days It'll be our first time there since I think 2017. So I'm really excited for that. And then, cool. uh, yeah, we've got American dates in September and UK and Europe in October and November. So we're pretty much uh, on full throttle until uh, until December. And it's a great feeling. It's great to be back and busy again, have a job once again. It's real. It's real nice. Heck yeah. Well, congratulations on your continued success. And thank you so much for sitting with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stefan Babcock from Pup. But don't go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one hit thunder or were nothing more than a one hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. 
I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy, and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Mash. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Light Crush from Manchester, New Hampshire, featuring Jeff Roberts on vocals and guitar, Mark Oswald on bass, Landon Loveday on guitar, and Sean Paragines on the drums. Here's a snippet of their song, Get Anxious. Chris and Chris. Chris, that was an awesome episode. You know I've wanted to get Pup on the show for a long time now. And I don't know. I thought that episode was funny. I thought it was interesting. It was everything that I hoped it would be. Yeah, same same here. What a great, interesting band. Uh, I don't feel they've peaked at all. I see their star continuing to just rise. And they keep pushing the envelope of what people think they are. This uh, This new record, this song in particular, is really interesting and different. Yeah, I love the fact that the recording that we hear of this song is a blend of in the studio and of the original demo. Now, I know that in my band, we've done that here and there, maybe just a a tiny part, but I don't know of another song where I've heard this much of a blend of those two things yeah and and i'm really glad that stefan brought that up and he had said there there's some tuning issues because you know it's it's always hard for for me to point those things out you don't want to offend anybody but the, the guy can obviously sing he obviously has an ear and i always marvel and wonder how did you let that go because i'd have to fix that my ear wouldn't let something like that go and but that adds to the specialness and the uniqueness of this song without that it becomes too clean to pop and it's just cookie cutter it sounds really authentic it sounds real it gives it its own thing that doesn't sound like anything else i think that's one of the things i love about this band more than anything is that i don't think they sound like anyone else yes they are pretty punk rock but i think it's why they cross over into like the indie world why they get on to some of these festivals that aren't necessarily punk rock festivals i always look at them and be like Mm -hmm. how are they the only punk band on this but i understand why it's because they have a sound all their own absolutely you know their their producer peter cadis he's uh uh, produced death cab i I hear a little death cabin here i hear a little ben folds five i hear a little uh weedus uh in in the delivery of the vocals of course i i mentioned ween meets weezer at the top Uh, there's all these different things, but it's not one direct uh, link or direct rip or anything. It's it's all these things. They definitely have their own sound. This song just keeps evolving, keeps changing new instrumentation, new parts. It's just uh, it's a, it's a, it's a joy to listen to, and it was a lot of fun to break down. I love that you dropped the Ween reference in this episode. I did not see that coming. I'd love to know what Ween song was on repeat that made Stefan not like Ween. Because, Chris, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of Ween songs on repeat that would drive a person crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. But I thought that was a really good comparison because Pup, just like Ween and Chris, even our bands, we incorporate humor into our music and not in a cheesy way, but in a way that it shows people you're not taking yourself too seriously and in its own way, that makes it all the more cooler. Think about all the bands that like take themselves so seriously to a point where it's like, oh my God, what this is so cheesy. I think of like a lot of modern rock bands that way, you know, and and um, I love that about Pup. 
Oh yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of those, uh, and I'll, I'll use the word again, cookie cutter type manufactured bands that just they all kind of have the same look and they say the same things in interviews and you know you try to throw a, a an off color remark at them or something and they're just like you know they get weirded out by it they can't roll with the punches and uh, Stefan's anything but that he gets it it was really cool to hear him talking about his band uh, you know how he'll he'll send them stuff that they absolutely don't like and he can relate to me by saying yeah you got you got to hit him at the right mood too you know it's it's too early in the morning to send it our bass player doesn't get up till ten o'clock I got I, I might want to wait on this and uh, I I, I got a good chuckle out of that I love you know Chris that you and I can relate to that <laughs> of course like <laughs> you know when you're in a band for a long time your bandmates become like your siblings and yeah you have little rivalries here and there I mean overall you love each other you know that's that's no doubt but you can be honest with each other as well I loved that he talked about that and Chris I thought it was really cool that he said Peter the producer of this album he stressed to them that having fun is the most important thing about making a record and I couldn't agree more with that and you really hear that come through on this album if anyone out there hasn't heard this album yet you, you hear how much fun it is from the first song. I also thought it was really cool. You don't hear this very much uh, about a working relationship with the producer. They mentioned their first couple records were produced by the same guy, and they said they kind of feel like they, they reached uh, an end to that. Not in a bad way. He, he, he credits him as being a brilliant, awesome producer, but they wanted to branch out, and it sounds like Peter kind of coalesced this whole thing, brought it together, and the band is mature enough to know that we can't do this ourselves. We're, we're very talented, unique individuals all four of us we bring a lot to the table uh but what we need someone to kind of steer the ship and something else Stefan said that i thought was cool was uh he admitted that he he kind of writes these basic structures and brings them in it but it's what the band uh brings to the table that, that makes it pup i mean i could relate to that i'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to that if you're in a band where you're surrounded by talented people i mean that's the best situation possible. I'm sure you're in that situation, Chris. You're surrounded by extremely talented people where you can bring something in that's a basic idea. And once everyone puts their little touches to it, it becomes a whole other thing. It's like magic. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I don't know, I just, there, there was something refreshing about how humble he was. He, you could tell he, he I don't say this is a, a bad thing. He, he struggles in terms of, as an artist of, you know, have we peaked, he, he was saying. And, and we all question these things as artists. Am, am I, I hate you in the word relevant but you know what am i doing here am i am i still pushing the band but yet are we still retaining who we are and uh it, it was cool for him to be transparent about that yeah and when it comes to being in a band where you're trying to get in people's ears that's what we're all trying to do right <laughs> when it comes to that i love that he references in the lyrics black hole sun because i i was over here laughing when you guys were talking about that because <laughs> that would be the number one song and exactly what he said about it these radio stations being like we're the new rock alternative station and then they play black hole sun as if black hole sun needs any more exposure or any more playing i mean it's a perfectly fine song but it's been beaten into my head for 30 or you know close to 30 years now why do radio stations still need to play that you know i thought yeah. that was so funny no and he he saw it was self-admitted you know, it was kind of a, a silly lyric didn't know if it should be in there but then it was kind of like you know the, the band and everybody's like no that that needs to stay yeah chris i don't think anyone else needs to hear black hole sun at this point but i do think that anyone listening right now needs to hear the After Party podcast, which is which is available to everyone who is part of our supporting cast. If you go to kristamakes.com every week, you get a bonus episode, plus you have a giant back catalog of After Party episodes. They're a lot of fun. What you agree, Chris? Mr. Segway, Chris Fafalius <laughs> comes comes in hot again. Mm -hmm. I, it's a, it's, ama it's amazing each week how you keep doing it, Chris. You keep reinventing yourself. Yes, head over to kristamakes.com. We'd love you to be part of our supporting cast where you get bonus episodes of the After Party and We've had people say that they like the after party just as much or more than the regular show, and that's awesome. Chris, I have people tell me, and I don't mean to take away from the podcast that you're listening to right now, but I've had several people tell me they listen to the after party first, and then they, <laughs> we, then they listen to this week's episode of Chris to Makes a Podcast. I, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. but That's uh, like watching Friday the 13th Part 2 first and then going back to Part 1, you know? Sure. But hey, what, whatever works for people, <laughs> That's you know? right. That's right. You do you. You do you over here at Chris to Makes a Podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, again, we're gonna we're gonna hit you over the head with it. Go to crystalmakes.com, please sign up. It's 
a lot of fun. It's, uh, I don't know, the price of a cup of coffee or the price of a beer, and you get to get some bonus episodes from Chris and I. If you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd appreciate it. And I want to thank this week's guest, Stefan Babcock, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week. Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all <laughs> and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom tom's the best tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like so that could be the latest shows uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.